learned from Daniel chapter number 9 tonight. As we have seen, and some of you are brand new to this study, brand new to our church, haven't been a part of our study in Daniel quite yet. But the latter portion of the book of Daniel is often called or referred to as Daniel's prophecy. And the first six chapters of Daniel are historical in nature. The last six chapters are prophetic in nature. And so Daniel shows us things to come uh, upon this world. Prophetic truth. The prophecy of Daniel 9 is of unique importance. Even among all the prophecy in Daniel, this is the most prominent and significant of the prophecies in Daniel. In fact, I would contend one of the most significant prophecies in all of Scripture. And that is because this one prophecy is an essential prophecy to a proper interpretation of all biblical prophecy. Um, uh, Harry Ironside called it the goat prophecy, right? The greatest of all time prophecies. Uh, and I tend to agree with him to that effect. Uh, I would say this one prophecy is the lens through which we should view the rest of biblical uh, eschatology or prophetical truth. Um, that is how significant this prophecy is. And so it cannot be emphasized enough how significant this prophecy truly is for our understanding as believers. And so before we delve into this prophecy, let's just take a minute to review what we have already learned from the context of Daniel chapter number 9. The circumstances that surrounded the time in which this prophecy was given. And as we open to Daniel uh, chapter number 9, we won't take time to read the rest of the chapter tonight for sake of time. But we find that this prophecy was revealed to a special man of God. One whom, in this chapter, God refers to him as his greatly beloved prophet, his precious one, Daniel, a special man in the eyes of God. And this prophecy was revealed, the Bible says in verse 1, in the first year of the Medo-Persian Empire's dominance over the world. And uh, the Medo-Persian Empire had just conquered the Babylonian Empire. And, and Cyrus the king had appointed Darius as governor over the region of his kingdom, in the Babylon, the Babylon area. And so all these things had taken place. And this prophecy was also revealed during a time which the Bible indicates to us Daniel was intently studying another prophecy that was revealed to Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah's 70 year prophecy. Uh, this was a prophecy that God had foretold that Israel would be in captivity to Babylon for 70 years. And, and Daniel uh, began to read Jeremiah's prophetic scriptures. Jeremiah's already passed away by this point. And, and he, as he's intently studying the word of God, he's beginning to understand some things. And he's beginning to see that this time period of 70 years is coming to an end. And very soon the 70 years will be up. And he knew that that meant that God was going to allow the people of Israel to be free from captivity and to return to their homeland. And because he realized this, it, it moved him to a season of passionate prayer. And the majority of Daniel chapter 9, it, it, it describes to us the, the prayer that Daniel offered both for himself and for his nation. Because he knew that the 70 years prophecy was coming to an end and he knew that his nation was still very much a wicked nation and still very much not deserving of the mercy of God. And so he began to plead with God on behalf of his, nature, of, of his nation. And as he prayed, the Bible says in the middle of this chapter that God answered his prayer in a supernatural, miraculous way. He sent an angel, Gabriel, down, a messenger, to answer Daniel's prayer. And the answer to Daniel's prayer, the Bible says, included another prophecy that God revealed to Daniel. And that is the prophecy that we are going to be studying here tonight. By the way, let me say this. The, prophet, the study of the prophecy of Scripture should always be accompanied with fervent prayer. In fact, I go so far as to say it can be dangerous sometimes just to fill your mind with a bunch of prophetic truth. Uh, uh, knowledge gives you, bring, bring, brings you pride. Right? Just getting a bunch of knowledge, accumulating even a bunch of knowledge of Scripture, it'll puff you up. Okay? But to the, to the extent that learning biblical truth like this moves your heart to be more devoted for the Lord and for reaching the lost, that's the point. 
And that's why I say the study of prophecy should always be accompanied with fervent prayer. And that's the example that we see from Daniel's life here. By the way, as we study these truths, the reason, the only reason we can come to understand things to come is because of the ministry of the great teacher, the Holy Spirit of God. I'm not a good teacher, but God can take meager words and, God can, and God's spirit can use them as for us as believers to help us understand the truth that is in God's word. You write this verse down, John chapter 16 and verse 13. Jesus says this. He says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he, listen to this, and he shall show you things to come. Jesus literally said, the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is going to be to show you things to come. And the Holy Spirit takes the word of God to reveal the truth of God to us about things to come. And so we are, we are inviting the ministry of the Holy Spirit tonight to help us understand the truth of things to come as we study this prophecy tonight. Why don't we pray and invite him to give us understanding tonight. Our Father, we come before you. We thank you for the opportunity to take your word and to be able to study this prophetic truth. I pray that you would make it clear and help me to communicate it in a concise way. And Lord, allow the truth of it to convict our hearts and move us to live for you with more fervency, more passion for reaching people and growing and doing your ministry while there's still time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, as we consider this great prophecy, there are three critical components that we'll look at from Daniel's 70th week prophecy. And the first one we're going to notice is the declaration of the prophecy. The declaration of the prophecy. Look at Daniel chapter 9. Look down with me at verse number 24. Verse number 24. The Bible says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Daniel had discovered, as we've already mentioned earlier on in this chapter, from his study of the scripture that the 70 years of Israel's captivity that God had revealed to Jeremiah, those 70 years of captivity were coming to a close. And that's what had moved him into this time of, time of prayer. But even as he began to understand the 70 years of captivity were coming to a close, God, as those years were coming to a close, revealed to Daniel that the 70 years were going to be followed by 70 weeks. Mentioned here in verse number 24 of Daniel. In other words, God was indicating to Daniel that yes, the 70 years of captivity for Israel are coming to a close. But there are still 70 weeks that God has determined to take place before his full plan for the nation of Israel was going to come to a close. And make no mistake about this because this is an important foundational truth for everything we're studying tonight. God is a sovereign, omniscient God who has a clear plan for this world. If anybody knows what's going on in this world, it's God. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And as human beings, we tend to worry about the crazy things that are happening in this world. But God is not in the least concerned. Because everything that's happening in this world is really something that God already knew would take place. And from God's perspective, things aren't falling out of place. They're falling into place. Exactly as He has designed for them to do so. And I like what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look to God, you'll be at rest. That's always how our perspective should change when we see the things that are happening in this world today. By the way, she was someone who was an authority on the subject. If you study the life of Corey Ten Boom and all she had to go through. And she spoke with authority with those words that she said. And uh, I love to consider the sovereignty of God when we study the subject of prophecy. But listen. The completion of Israel's 70 years of captivity 
was nothing, nothing compared to what was about to take place in the 70 weeks that God was describing to Daniel. During this time period of the 70 weeks prophecy, the world has seen change unlike any other time period in the rest of history. And by the way, we are living today still in the time period described under this 70 weeks prophecy. We're still right in the middle of it. And God still has a sovereign plan for this world that He has designed and He is going to complete His plan for this world. Make no mistake about it. I think about the time period we're living in and how it's drawing towards the last days. And I want you to take your Bibles and go to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to jump right back to Daniel, so don't lose your place there. As we think about this, this prophecy that was declared all these many years ago, and we think about the day we're living in today, the truth is so many people scoff at the prospect of exactly what we're talking about tonight. Movies are made. Jokes are formulated over the subject that we're talking about. And the Hollywood would sell the prospect of an end, end-time destruction of the world as something that is fanatical, something that is fantasy, something that is not going to take place. And there are many scoffers that uh, deny the truth of what we're talking about tonight. And the Bible said there would be. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning, we'll begin reading in verse number 3. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says, knowing this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of the word of the heavens, uh, by, by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. It's talking about the flood. In other words, what Peter's talking about is, yeah, when in, in Noah's day, people said the same thing. Oh, Noah, you're crazy. This world's not coming to an end. Why are you building that ark, Noah? Why are you doing those things? Until it happened. Until it happened, they scoffed. It's the same thing that's happening today, going on in verse 7. The Bible says, But the heavens and, and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved into fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, some may count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. You can mark it down, whether you choose to believe it or not, these things will come to pass. They will. And so the prophecy of the 70 weeks is declared, and God makes it clear 70 weeks are left until he's done with everything that he has determined to take place on this old world. It's important we understand what's supposed to happen with these 70 weeks. So the first critical component is the declaration of the prophecy. But number two, I want you to note down the division of the prophecy. The division of the prophecy. Verse 24, again, uh, back there in Daniel chapter number 9. The Bible says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Seventy weeks. Now we've spoken of this in weeks previous. But let me remind you about some things. The seventy weeks God speaks of here is so often confused. And uh, it can be very confusing studying these prophetic truths. But the word, uh, he, the Hebrew word translated weeks uh, is, is Shabua. And it, and it literally means a set of seven. All right? Um, and so it doesn't always mean just a literal, uh, well, it always is literal seven, but it could be seven of anything. Um, so when it says uh, seven weeks, um, you've got to understand it in the context in which it is given. Um, and so the Bible literally is what it's saying is that there's going to be 70 sets of seven. Um, and it's not necess necessarily talking about a literal week in the sense of a seven day period that we're used to. But it's talking about 70 sets of seven. 
In fact, in some translations of the Bible, that's how they translate it. Seventy sets of seven. Um, and uh, there's lots of biblical context here uh, that backs up that this, this term, weeks, 70 weeks, is actually referring to a set of seven years. And I want to I actually take you to a place to show you where, at least one place where this is demonstrated. Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29. I'm going to summarize the story for you in Genesis chapter 29. But I want you to see an example of this. So you're not just taking my word for it, but you're taking God's word for it. Genesis chapter 29. And here in this chapter, what we have is Jacob. Jacob's gone to work for his uncle Laban. And he's, he's fallen in love with Laban, Laban's daughter and uh, decided he wants to marry her. And uh, uh, Laban says, you need to work for me for, or Jacob offers to work for, him, work for him for seven years. And at the end of those seven years, Laban says, I'll let you marry my daughter. And so in Genesis chapter 29, and let's look down at verse 26. The Bible says, and Laban said, it must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Read the first three words of verse 27. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me. Yet seven other years. What did he mean by week? Well, he says it at the end of the verse. Seven years. And so it was a commonplace thing in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew vernacular to use the word Shabuah, set of seven week to refer to not just a period of seven days, but oftentimes referring to it as a period of seven years. And so when we go going back to Daniel's prophecy, 70 weeks is a reference to a seven, uh, a 70 set of seven year period. Um, and so that's an important thing for us to understand. And maybe I should start writing some of this down because some of you are starting to get those eyes like I have no idea what you're talking about. All right, so we're looking at 70 weeks, the weeks being a set, uh, a set of seven, and these 70 weeks equal 70 years, a set of, uh, a set of 77 year periods. So maybe that's how I should put it, 77 year periods. Now you, now you might be more confused than what you were before. I don't know, all right? Um, but I, I'm going to labor to try to convey this to you as clearly as I can. So 70 weeks is a reference to 70, a period of uh, seven, uh, 77-year um, uh, time periods. So what does that add up to? If you take 490 years. All right, some of you are already ahead of me. All right, so if you take this time period here that we're talking of and you add it all up, what you come to is 490 Years. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But this is what's taking place in the year in the scriptures. God's literally saying in 490 years, I am going to fulfill my grand purpose for Israel. And remember, the translation switches from Aramaic back to Hebrew in Daniel chapter 7. And the reason is the audience is no longer the world. The audience is now Israel. God is giving these prophecies to Israel. And as he's giving these prophecies, his mind is focused on Israel and his purpose and intention for the nation of Israel. And so as we read on, God makes clear that these 70 weeks or these 490 years are further broken down into three specific divisions. And I want us to look at these divisions. The first division is this, seven sevens, all right? Seven sevens. Um, and notice what the Bible tells us in verse number 25. The Bible says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be. And what's the first listing given there? Seven weeks. And so the first division involves seven sevens. These seven weeks, these seven sets of seven. How many years is that? If we take seven sevens, knowing that the. The seven, uh, the, the seven, is not a seven-week period, but a seven-year period. What we have is forty-nine years, and so Jesus, uh, the, the the prophecy that's given here tells us that God has this in this first division, a set of seven sevens, in which He's going to fulfill His first purpose, and and, and we read on about what that purpose is. Uh, verse tw uh, verse twenty-five. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. 
um, there's going to be these seven weeks. At the end of the verse, it says, The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome time. So during this first division of these 490 years, it's 49, 49 years is the first division, these seven sevens, the Bible tells us that the city and the walls of Jerusalem were going to be rebuilt. By the way, the, the, the time where this countdown for this prophetic calendar begins is of significance too. At the beginning of verse 25, the, the, pro, the prophecy clearly says that it's going to start when the going forth of the commandment is given to rebuild the city and the walls of Jerusalem. There's all kinds of debate because there were three separate definitive proclamations in the scripture given by Persian kings to go and start rebuilding Jerusalem. Let me give them to you here very quickly. The first decree was by Cyrus in 538 BC. Um, in Ezra chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 talk about this decree from, Ezra, from, from Cyrus the king of Persia. I don't believe this is when the prophetic calendar began because Cyrus only gave the decree to go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Not the walls. The second decree was from Darius in 517 BC. In Ezra chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, talk about this second decree. And yet again, I do not believe this is when the prophetic calendar began to tick because this was only a decree to get back to building the temple that they still hadn't finished. All right? And the walls were not mentioned. The third and actual decree, in my opinion, was given by Artaxerxes. In 445 BC, Nehemiah chapter 2 talks about this decree from the Persian king Artaxerxes. And this is the only de decree from a Persian king that fits the bill uh, of what the prophecy had said that there was going to be a decree given to rebuild not just the temple, but the walls of Jerusalem. And this took place in 445 BC. My personal opinion is that this is when the 490 year countdown began to take place. And so as you read the, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and you look and compare them to what we read in verse number 25 of our text, what we find is that every word of this prophecy was fulfilled in what God did during the, these 49 years when he said he was going to do these things. The end of verse 25 says the streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome time. In, in the book of Ezra, we find the details of how the temple, the Jewish temple, was rebuilt. In the book of Nehemiah, we find the details of how the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt. And in the book of Esther, and included the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, we see the examples of all the troublesome things that the Jews had to go through, including an attempted holocaust in the Persian Empire. All these troubling things that the Jews had to go through, and yet through all those difficulties, the wall was rebuilt, the temple was rebuilt. And so wonderful and glorious was what God did in those 49 years that even the enemies of Israel, according to Nehemiah 6 verse 16, the Bible says they perceived that this work was wrought of God. Like only God could have done this with a nation that was in captivity to give them favor with their captive nation to be able to go back to their homeland and rebuild their temple and rebuild their city and rebuild their walls. And so all of these things took place. And uh, I love studying those books of the Bible because it reminds us of a simple fact that even when a circumstance seems impossible to us, with God, nothing is impossible. God can do anything. When God says he's going to do something, you better believe he's going to do it. And in this prophecy, the first seven-week period described here, that first 49 years, everything that God said was going to happen, it took place just as God said it would. And so in this first division, there are the seven sevens. Now, go back to verse 25, and let's look in the middle of the verse. The Bible says, well, let's just read it from the beginning so you know where I'm at. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, Unto, and what's the next thing say? Messiah. Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, we've already looked in that, and three score in two weeks. What's that? 62. All right, so now uh, the first division of this 490 years was a seven, seven year period. This is a 62, seven year period. All right, 62 sevens would be the second division we're talking about here. 62 weeks, 
62 sets of seven years. How many years is that? All right. Well, in the first place, we had 49 years. That's the first division. In the second place, we had these 60, the 62 weeks, 62 sets of seven. What does that add up to? Come on, you math whizzes. Thank you. 434 years. All right. Now, this is incredible to me. And we could take a lot of time uh, to talk about this. Uh, and I would love to take a lot of time to talk about it. I'd like to take lots of time to talk every time I preach, obviously. But um, when the, hey, you're not supposed to say amen to that. But yeah. <laughs> it is Bill Oak, so you know. No. <laughs> was that you, Bill? Okay, I thought it was. Um, but uh, during, during this, so when the first division came to an end, 49 years comes to an end, immediately the second division starts to take place. The prophetic calendar's still ticking. God is precise in everything that he does. And so this 434 years begins to tick off the scale. Um, and the Bible says at the end of this 434 years, something significant was going to happen. The Messiah was going to be cut off. Now, not ironically, after the temple was rebuilt, the walls were rebuilt, we enter into a period of biblical history between the Testaments. We call it the silent period. There's no revealed prophecy. There's a famine in the land, not of bread and of water, but of hearing the word of the Lord, the prophecy said in Micah. Nothing was heard from God during those years. That silence lasted for about 400 years. Until the silence was broken, the cry of a baby. Jesus. Jesus lived 33 and a half years. 434 years is what the Bible says the time period would be that would pass. The Bible says in Galatians 4 and verse 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Right on time. Wasn't on our time, but it was on his time. People in that day, I don't think they fully understood the prophecy. I think the wise men from Babylon or Persia, we don't know exactly, I think they understood the prophecy, which is why they came when they came. They came thinking, all right, here we are. You said this was going to happen. Where's the king? I just think it's incredible as you think about people who weren't even, people who necessarily believed in Jehovah God, believed God's word more than God's people did. And we're often guilty of that too, by the way. But here they come, and here Jesus comes, exactly when God said he was going to come. And after 33 and a half years, Jesus was crucified for the sins of the world. Verse number, 20, uh, verse number uh, uh, 26 says, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah, and listen to this, be cut off. What's the next four words say? Not for himself. Why was the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one of God, capital, capitalized there, Messiah, why, why was he cut off but not for himself? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 says that God has made Jesus to be sin for us even though he knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him he was not cut off for his own sins he was cut off for our sins that's why Jesus came and this is a prophecy it cannot be a prophecy about anyone but the Messiah Jesus Christ and so this this prophecy this second division of 434 years or the 62 weeks described in Daniel culminated when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. And listen, on the exact date, I don't know what the exact date was, but I believe this. On the exact date that was the fulfillment of this prophecy, Jesus Christ died on that cross for our sins. Now, there's lots of people who have tried to figure this out precisely, and I've talked about this briefly before. A lot of people have used Daniel's prophecy here as a criticism of Scripture. Well, it's not accurate. There's several things you need to understand if you want to study this more in depth. The ancient world in which Daniel lived didn't live by the same calendar that you and I live by today. We have a 365-day year calendar, and that day and time they had a 360-day calendar. 
And so if you add that up throughout all those years, the, uh, the 490 years, or if you subtract the, the last week, uh, it adds up to 483 years. Uh, we'll talk about the final division. There's one more week left. So you're subtracting a set, a, a set of seven from this that brings you to 483. If you start with the 483 years that the Bible talks about, um, uh, and, and you times that by 360 days instead of 365-day uh, years, what you come up with is actually about 476 of our modern years. And we compute history by how we count our calendars today, not by how they counted their calendars then. Does that make sense? And so we're not at 483 years by our calendar today. We'd be at about 476 years. And it is a matter of established historical fact, not just from Scripture, but from other sources of history, that Artaxerxes gave the edict to rebuild Jerusalem in 445 B.C. Now that's recorded in Nehemiah chapter 2 and also recorded in lots of places of secular history. Artaxerxes gives this decree in 445 B.C. And uh, 69 weeks or 476 years later, we arrive at A.D. 32, which is exactly the time period where history tells us that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Why am I going into all this detail? I'm going into all this detail to help you understand something. God's word is true and it's accurate and you can trust it. And I'm going to tell you this as well. If you can believe that God brought to pass everything that he said would happen in the first set of seven weeks, and in the second set of 62 weeks, then you ought to also believe that God is going to bring to pass everything that is to happen in the last set, the last division. And that last division is the 70th seven. If you want to write that down, the 70th seven. We'll write this down. And during this 70th seven, we have a seven year period. All these are years. All right. We have a seven-year period. What do we often refer to this last seven as? The tribulation. I'm going to get to it in just a minute. But God foretold that there would be yet one final seven, uh, set of seven, a seven-year period, one final week that must take place in order for him to fulfill his ultimate purpose for Israel. Now, there is a parenthesis and prophecy. And between this division and this division, we are no longer operating sequentially. There is a parenthesis here, which is often referred to as the age of grace. All right? And uh, not that grace, but, you know, God's grace. Um, the age of grace, we, we sometimes call it the church age. That's the age that we're in right now. Now, I'm not just telling you this. The New Testament teaches us this. Go to some places with me. Romans chapter 11. All right? Now, some people try to use Romans 19 and 11 to disprove exactly what we're talking about tonight when it goes just in the opposite direction to prove the things that the Scripture teaches us from Daniel chapter number uh, 9. Romans chapter 11 and verse number 25. The Bible tells us this. It says... <clears throat> Verse twenty nine. For I would not, brethren, that uh, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this what mystery. mystery. Oh, here's a mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of who Gentiles. the Gentiles become in God and His sovereignty decided. I have the right to do what I want with my world. And he hit the pause button on his plan for Israel because Israel rejected their Messiah. The Messiah came and they rejected their Messiah. And so now blindness in part has happened to Israel until this age of grace comes to a conclusion. And now he's invited every tribe, every tongue, every nation to be a part of his kingdom and to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. We're living in the midst of that age right now. Go to Colossians chapter 1. 
just a couple books over. Colossians chapter 1. This is, there's many places in scripture we could take you to to talk about this mystery of this gospel age that we're living in today. Colossians chapter 1 and verses uh, uh, 25 down through verse 27 The Apostle Paul wrote under inspiration and said, Wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Paul's saying this is all in fulfillment of what God had said was going to happen. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among who? The Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are living right now in a dispensation, a time period of operation where God in his grace is gathering his church to himself from all the nations of the world. Boy, this is a wonderful time to be alive. That's all I have to say. Just a privilege to be able to live in this time period of history. God did reveal that this, this time period is going to take place, albeit he didn't reveal it in the Old Testament. As we've already read in two places, it was kept a mystery from previous generations. But now his purpose is made known concerning these things. Now go back to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Let's jump back over there together. Now, there are some things that God revealed would happen during this period that we're living in right now. You look at the end of verse 26. The Bible says, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. The people of the prince that shall, that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with the flood. And unto the end of the war or the conflict, desolations or atrocities are determined, appointed by God. What in the world is the Bible talking about there? Well, God did describe in this prophecy some of the things that would take place after Jesus was crucified and before the tribulation was actually going to begin to take place. What the Bible teaches us here is that after Jesus' crucifixion and more specifically after Israel rejected her Messiah, God foretold that he would allow the nation in power under the control of the prince and power of the air, Satan, the Roman government, to destroy the holy city of Jerusalem and the temple. Did that happen? Well, look in your look, look in your history book. AD 70. Titus marches the Roman army into Israel because they're tired of their not they're tired of their nonsense, and they burn the city to the ground and they destroy the temple that had been built. And the temple has not been rebuilt since. And hasn't been rebuilt since. The Bible says at the end of verse 26 that this dispute against Israel would result in an overflowing flood. What's the flood talking about? It was talking about a flood of judgment on Israel from God. And so from that time period when Jesus was crucified up until this present age, God has decreed, he has determined to allow appalling things to happen to Israel in judgment for their rejection of the Messiah. Until he's ready to resume his purposes for Israel. Now you look at your history books. Has there been any people group that has been more oppressed than the Jewish people down through the ages of history? No. Listen, we can take a lot of time to go back through history and look at things like the Holocaust. But even the present, you think in our day of liberty and inclusivity that... People would be all for the Jews, but they still aren't. Understand, we have several people in Congress right now that are very much for rejecting the people of Israel. All right, When Trump was in office, uh, our nation, so many people in our nation almost had a hissy fit over the fact that we moved the embassy, our American embassy, to Jerusalem to honor the Jewish people. And, and, and recently, in, in my newspaper, uh, I, I have read things about how con- uh, some of our Congress people have uh, said just horrible things against the Jewish people. I don't have time to go through all the examples here tonight, but you understand as well as I do that there is still very much a hatred toward the Jewish people in this nation. They have anti-missile equipment set up in Jerusalem. And listen, uh, I've talked to people that have gone over there, and bombs are attempted to be fired upon the city of Jerusalem just about every day, they say. 
Just about every day. Now, why all the hatred? Because God says until the conflict's done, you're going to keep on facing appalling atrocities that people are going to try to do to you until I'm ready to resume my purposes for you. Isn't it amazing that everything God says comes to pass? I'm not happy that these things have happened to the Jewish people, but God said it was going to happen, and it has happened. Exactly how God said it was going to happen. And we're in this dispensation of grace. But the Bible says there's going to be a final week, a final seven-year period that we often refer to at, as the tribulation. The event in history that is going to mark the beginning of the end, the beginning of the tribulation, is going to be the rapture of the church. One day, the trumpet will sound, and those of us who believe in Christ will be caught up in the air. The dead will rise first, and we'll meet them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The Bible talks about this catching away. We use the word rapture. The word rapture is not in Scripture, but the concept of the catching away is very clearly in Scripture. And that's what rapture means. The church is one day going to be caught away. And when the church exits this earth, the age of grace has come to an end. The last Gentile, the last believer that God, uh, God, God knew was going to get saved will be saved and he will call us out of here. And that will begin the final division in Daniel's 70th week. It's 490 years. You understand 483 years of this prophecy have already taken place. God has seven years left. And in seven years, everything that he's determined on this world will be done. Now, at any given moment, we are only seven years away from this world being done for. From everything that God has determined, not us being done for, but this old temporal world being done for. I don't know about you, but that kind of gives me hope. <laughs> seven years is not very long. And the longer I live, the shorter, year, the shorter amount of time seven years seems to be. <laughs> seven years. It could be today. That, that final countdown could start to tick off. And the best thing about it is, I won't be here. <laughs> oh, we watch it from the grandstands of heaven with Jesus. Amen? The rapture of the church will begin this final period of history. And, and when God's purposes are fulfilled concerning his church, God will resume his sovereign plan with Israel, which is what the tribulation is all about. And so this will culminate in the 70th week that Daniel, that was revealed to Daniel here in Daniel chapter number 9. Now look at verse number 27 for the sake of understanding this 70th week. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for how long? He, speaking of this prince of, prince of the, the powers that be of that time, we refer him to him now, know him now through the New Testament revelation as the Antichrist. He shall confirm... Or sign a peace treaty, confirm the covenant with many for one week. Many. Who is many referring to? Well, who is this prophecy written to? Israel. The Antichrist, at the beginning of the tribulation, will sign a peace treaty with the, with the people of the nation of Israel. And in the middle of the tribulation period, notice what happens in verse 27. The Bible says, and in the midst of the week, or the seven-year period, he shall cause the sacrifice of the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even to the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Here's what's going to happen. Remember what we studied in Daniel 8 about Antiochus Epiphanes? What is already established historical fact, what Antiochus did? He, 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 he uh, uh, feigned peace with the people of Israel, but then he ended up going into the Jewish temple and sacrificing a pig, which they're not supposed to have anything to do with, on their holy altar. And that, that is something that happened in history. And I told you that Daniel 8, and what the things that God says were going to happen there was just Satan's practice round for what was still coming. What's going to happen during the tribulation is that the Antichrist is going to sign a peace treaty with Israel. And after about three years... He's going to, in a very public way, break off that treaty. And not just stop there, but he's going to go so far as to do, do things that are considered abominable to the nation of Israel in the following of their law. He's going to sacrifice the sacrifice of abomination on the new temple that he is, that he is going to allow to be built in Jerusalem. And all listen, one day we'll be watching from heaven, and these will be the headlines. 
These will be the things that are happening on this earth. Right? Just as sure as the things happen in the first division and the second division, these things are going to happen. It's, it's, it's as good as done. It's just a matter of time before they take place. And so the, the Antichrist will break off his treaty with Israel. And uh, the Bible says that uh, that determined, the things that God has appointed, shall then be poured upon the desolate. And at the end of the tribulation, God's wrath, God's judgment will be poured out upon all those who have rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's incredible truth to understand the divisions of this prophecy. Daniel's 70th week helps us build a framework for how we view all the rest of prophecy. That's why I say it's so important to understand the prophecy of Daniel's 70th week. So we see the declaration of the prophecy. We see the divisions of the prophecy. What was the design? The third truth, the design. And I don't have time to elaborate this, so I'll just finish this quickly. But verse 24 summarizes everything for us. Verse 24. Why did God give us this prophecy? Why? He could have just kept it to himself. <laughs> Why did he want us to know these things? Why did he want us to have to rack our brains so hard to try to understand all these numbers? Why did he reveal it? Well, he says in verse 24, why? He says, 70 weeks are determined, appointed upon thy people, people of Israel, upon thy holy city. Why? To finish the transgression. God was not done punishing Israel yet. And though he gave them a chance to accept him as their Messiah, they still rejected him. And so now they are still in a time period of judgment. The people of Israel. To finish the transgression, the second reason he gives is to make an end of sins. God, at the point of this writing, still needed to sum up everything that needed to be done to put away the sins of the world. Now when did he do that? Calvary. When he died on the cross. Listen, it is finished, he said on that cross. As far as the sins of the world, they've been paid for. Now, whether or, not, whether or not a person is going to accept that payment or not is a different question. But Jesus did what was necessary. He died for the sins of the world. The Bible makes that very clear. To make an end of sins. The third reason that's given here is to make reconciliation for iniquity. God had to send his son into this world to be that reconciliation for our sinful intentions. That propitiation. That covering over for the perversity of humanity. And God fulfilled that through the finished work of Jesus Christ. The, third re the fourth reason that's given here is to bring in everlasting righteousness. God had to complete all these things to usher in this age of righteousness. Now what follows the tribulation? Well... After the tribulation, there is a time period, a thousand year time period, we discover in the book of Revelation called the Millennial Kingdom. And for a thousand years, Jesus will step down on this earth at the end of the tribulation, judge the world, and establish his Millennial Kingdom on this earth. It's going to be a kingdom of peace and a kingdom of righteousness ruled by Jesus Christ to bring in everlasting righteousness. And he shall reign forevermore. Okay, Actually, the Sermon on the Mount is going to be the truth by which that kingdom is governed, I believe. It's, 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 a, it's, it's the truth of the righteousness of God's kingdom, a righteousness that can only be possible in the society that has been perfected by God's grace. But that's, that's a whole different subject. But the, the reality is the Bible says this prophecy, the reason it is given is to help us understand how everlasting righteousness is going to be brought in. The uh, fifth reason that is given here is to seal up the vision and the prophecy. Literally, the words that are used here indicate that God had to affix his seal on the vision and prophecy for things that were about to come. Not only has God given this for us in his word, but if you can imagine... The same typology, this isn't typology in this case, this is, this is literal. But you remember when Daniel was put in the lion's den? The king, Darius, came and what did he do? Well, he affixed his seal on that door to the den. 
The same indication is used for what God has done for what we just studied. The Bible tells us that God literally has sealed up the vision in prophecy. It's as good as done. Later on in the book of Revelation, there are a set of seven judgments that are referred to as the seal judgments. I'm not saying these are the same things, but the idea of what the seal judgment is, a seal is broken and then the scroll is unrolled to reveal everything that's going to take place. And one day, the seal will be broken. And God's purposes for this world are going to be established. When you understand the significance of that seal, it'll change the way you read Revelation 5. Is anyone worthy to break the seal and open the scroll? Can anyone fulfill God's purposes for this world? The Lion of Judah. He can do it. He's the only one who can. That's Jesus. God's fixed his seal, and only Jesus can break it and bring to pass everything that God says is coming on this world. Man, that's powerful. And if you really understand that, that'll, that'll help you today. The, 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 the sixth thing here is, the sixth design of this prophecy is to anoint the most holy. After all these things come to pass in the order that God has given them, there will come a day as whereas Philippians chapter 2 tells us, Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To anoint the most holy. And then the Bible says, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. That's at the end of verse number 27. And so what the Bible is saying is that the reason this prophecy was given is because all this must come to pass until the judgment God has decreed to take place on this wicked world has been poured out on them. And as much hope as this prophecy gives us as believers, because we know God's going to bring everything to pass exactly as he says, and we have hope because we know we're saved, we know we're going to be, there's still a measure of fear that is included with a prophecy like this. Because if you do not know Christ, one day the trumpet will sound and you will be left behind for the age of judgment. You say, can I be saved after that? And I'll tell you, I believe that you can. Some would say that you can. But even if you can, you're still going to be here through that age of judgment. And the onus is on you, as the book of James tells us to do, hey, make sure of your salvation. Make sure that you are genuinely in the faith. Not just a professing Christian, but a possessing Christian. You have Christ as your Savior. And I would not risk my eternity on, well, I think I am. No. 1 John 5 says these things are written so you can know you have eternal life. It's time to stop messing around. If you don't know Christ, you come trust Christ tonight. That's my challenge to you. Now, it's between you and God, and I can't make you do it, but I hope that you will.